Good morning. Um, welcome to church on the Durban winter day that we're having this year. We'll be the one and only knowing Durban. Um, so well done for getting out of those warm duvets and getting here. Um, thank you very much for the, the intro there and the proper preparation. I always find it, and I said this last time, I love the preaching. I find the prep work so difficult to pull all my ideas together. And if you ever wanted to feel completely inadequate, go and have a conversation with a five-year-old. Because at the moment, my five-year-old, who's sitting at the front there, um, has got very philosophical questions. And we were in checkers yesterday, going down the toy aisle, and he turned to me, he's like, Mom, why are fish real? I was like, I don't know, I don't know what you mean, John. He's like, why are fish real? John, I really, I, I don't know, I don't know how to answer that. And he went, I thought teachers knew everything. No pressure, my son, no pressure. Um, when I was younger, I always, I heard there was this, well, not heard, I read there was a Bible verse that said, basically, in, in paraphrasing, that teachers and preachers would be the most harshly judged, you know, when it came to end times and, and standing before God. And if you teach and you preach, you're going to have to be accountable for a lot. And I was straight away like, I'm never going to preach and I'm never going to be a teacher and here I am, and I'm both. So <laughs> please bear with me this morning. Um, it's a very, it's a, the, the topic I want to speak about is, it, it, the inspiration for it happened a couple of weeks ago when I was driving to the airport. And um, if you've ever been on the freeway and you get one of those blue light brigades coming up behind you, and so I saw this flashing blue light and I moved my very fast little I-10 over into the middle lane. And they came past, and it was correctional services vehicles that were, obviously, that I'm assuming with the lights on, they were escorting prisoners. And my South African imagination immediately was like, oh, what if there's like a prison break on the road in front of me, you know? And like, if I was ever in one of those vehicles, would someone come and break me out of prison? And it got me thinking about what would life be like if you were a prisoner and you were broken out of prison, um, but you were never truly free because you'd spend the rest of your life looking over your shoulder. And I'd like to start with a story this morning pretty much along those lines. Once upon a time, there were two criminals. Sorry, this thing's wobbling. It's going to wobble even worse there. Once upon a time, there were two criminals who found themselves side by side in a courtroom awaiting their judgments. Both were found guilty for their respective crimes and sentenced to life in prison. Both spent several years behind bars, and although their paths never crossed and they did not know each other at all, both longed eagerly for the outside world. They would dream, think, and speak of little else. And what they each craved most was to once again live freely. It just so happened that just as they had arrived at prison on this, at the same time, they would both leave on the same day too. The first man had worked long, hard years on a secret tunnel below his cell, and on the day it was ready, he managed to, to crawl through it under the cover of darkness and evade the many guards on the prison grounds so that he could climb over the fence and slip away. The second man also found himself leaving the prison that day, but it was rather through the front gates of the jail, as he had finally been granted amnesty from a forgiving judge. The prison guards watched him leave, and could make no attempt to stop him. Neither man ever returned to that prison, and both lived to a ripe old age, but only one of them could live his life without having to look over his shoulder or panicking each time he saw a police van pass. Although neither was in prison any longer, only one of the men 
was actually free. This morning, I want to speak about what it is to have freedom in Christ. Because freedom is this concept that we as human beings really like a lot. Have you ever heard somebody say, or you may have heard it in a movie, oh, it's a free country. Have you heard that before? Right? Um, that's actually a real thing, by the way. Us, we, as people, we like to quantify certain things. And there is an organization called Freedom House. Has anyone heard of them? They have what they call the Freedom House Index. And it's actually, they, they go and they quantify what freedom is. They put it into technical terms and statistics. And then every year they release the stats of what, the, what countries are considered free. So of our 195 countries in the world, 83 of them are currently, as per Freedom House's index, are currently considered free countries to live in. South Africa is one of them. We are, we are termed a free country. Everybody here feeling very free? Sorry? Let's change the subject. Okay. <laughs> and I'm not knocking our country at all. I think you could go to the freest nation in the world. Of course, I googled what's the best country in the world. Which one do you think came up? I'm pretty sure they put it there themselves. But um, we may not currently be sitting in a physical prison. But there are many of us today who can relate better to that first criminal, the one who dug himself out and escaped. Theoretically, I know I'm free, but we're constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop. We're constantly waiting for the jailer to catch up with us and to entwine us again with those chains and to send us straight back into captivity. But this morning, the truth of the matter is this. If you have given your life to Christ, you are 100% free. And the Bible tells us that freedom is a quest that mankind has been on. And if you read through scripture, the quest for freedom goes, and that is that as human beings, we have craved this freedom and, and we've quested for it right throughout scripture. And it's a main theme in many of the writings of, of the book of God. And if you read even in the New Testament, the writings of the apostle Paul, he speaks a lot about freedom. And ironically, while he's writing about freedom, Paul is actually sitting where, if you know much about his life? Very often, he's writing about freedom from the confines and the chains of a prison cell. Because in his ministry, he was arrested, I think it was two or three times, and he spent several years behind bars for the ministry of Christ. And in that prison, and in that situation of being physically bound, he was writing letters going, I am free. And he was calling the churches to the same. You see, freedom is much more than just being let out of a cage. I mean, it's a natural inclination. Have you, ever, have you ever played that game, Catchers? Maybe when you were younger and somebody captures you and your first instinct is to naturally pull free. Every created creature has this natural inclination towards freedom. I mean, go and if you've got, a, or maybe don't do this, like if you've got birds at home and you open the cage, what are they going to do? And please don't do it if you have any poisonous reptiles in a cage at home, all right? But naturally, animals and, and, and people, we spend our lives longing to be out of these bonds and out of these boundaries, and we want to be free. And freedom is much more than just being let out of a cage, because for our physical being, freedom is, is, is comfortable. We enjoy freedom, but for our spiritual being, freedom is essential. It is vital that we understand what freedom is in Christ. And it's, it's not just about the physical freedom or being free like the dictionary tells us. Freedom is the ability to make a contrary choice, which means freedom is the ability to say yes or no to what we want to. It's much more than that when we examine what Christ speaks about, when he speaks about having freedom. And so this morning, we're going to unpack just a little bit. And like I say, I'm not a perfect 
teacher. I'm not a perfect person. I don't know why fish are real. So I, I, I may not be able to do justice as we should do justice to the topic this morning, but I hope that I at least encourage you and inspire you a little bit to go and delve into the scriptures yourself and to unpack even further than what we are going to do this morning exactly what it is to be free in Christ. Because that's exactly what it is for us as Christians. Freedom is found in Christ. The problem to human captivity, God's solution to our captivity has always and will always be found in the person of Jesus Christ. True freedom is attainable. It is within reach. And for many people, we think, no, that's not the case for me. You have no idea what my chains look like. You have no idea what my obligations are. You have no idea where I have to dedicate my time every day. I'm busy. I'm, I'm bound. There's certain things that I have to get done. And we, we allow ourselves to, to forget Christ has broken the chains holding us. But sometimes it is us who maintain the hold on those chains. Sometimes, although the chains are broken and Christ's like, you are free, we're holding on to the chains going, am I? Am I really? If you think about a big kudu or an impala, this big majestic antelope, they have got incredible jumping ability. I think it was an impala or a kudu can jump over three meters in height. Like they can clear probably, I don't know, how high is three meters? They can clear well above the door and then some. But you can keep them captive in a fence that is barely a meter high. Why? Because they've known that captivity all their life. If they were born into that captivity and they've known that boundary and that fence, that's what they're comfortable with. And so the problem of escape is not so much a physical one as it is sometimes a mental one. Sometimes it's one of a realization that has to happen here before it can happen in the physical or even in the spiritual. How many of us this morning are facing fences that are daunting or chains that just seem to bind or mountains that seem insurmountable? And we're like, this is the thing holding me back, God. This is the thing that's, that's in my way. I mean, think about the Israelite people. We read about them throughout Scripture. And the Israelites, historically, are the people of God. Sorry, this is very dodgy, and I'm quite a big person. That's going <laughs> to... Um, the, the Israelites... So I'm going to just move this over, so I feel like I'm going to go through the stage. The Israelites are historically the people of God. Um, and they had seen manifestations of God like no other people in history. They were in captivity in Egypt. And God miraculously and personally led them out of that through the person of Moses, but also God. I mean, if you read the, the, the story in Exodus, the, the, the Israelites didn't just have a theory of God. They had a physical manifestation. They would see a pillar of cloud by day, and they'd see a pillar of fire by night, and God would provide for them with manna and with birds, and every single need that could ever hold them back and say, go back to Egypt, that's where you belong. Any chain that could hold them there, God broke in a miraculous way. And yet those same Israelites so often forgot. You know, Moses goes up the mountain for a while to go and get the Ten Commandments, and he comes back, and they've built themselves an idol, going like, where is God? They feel a bit hungry in the desert, and they go, no, it was better in Egypt. No, I preferred the captivity, because this is tough, and this is rough. And then a few generations later, the Israelite army found themselves facing a giant, a physical giant by the name of Goliath, 
who was the Philistine champion. And so you've got Saul and all the armies of Israel found in the book of Samuel. And 1 Samuel chapter 7, uh, sorry, it's not, it's not on the, on the um, scripture, it's not on the board behind me, but it's 1 Samuel 17 verse 11. It says, when, so, so Goliath's standing there shouting insults at the, at the Israelites saying, who's going to come forward? Who's a champion that's going to take me on? And you would think the people of God who historically have physically seen the power of God behind them and physically been led out of captivity would automatically go, no, we've got a God who's bigger than you. But instead, Samuel tells us that Saul and all, it says in in verse 11, Saul, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of Goliath, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And then in verse 24, it says, And all the men of Israel, when they saw Goliath, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. And skip to the story that we all know where you suddenly have the little shepherd boy, David, who's come to bring his brothers some lunch. And he overhears the words of Goliath. And he says, I'll take him on. He doesn't come with an arrogance going, I'm going to definitely beat him. But he's like, no, somebody's got to stand up to him. Somebody's got to try to mount this, this insurmountable mountain, you know. Somebody's got to try to, to, to take a stand against the thing that was holding Israel in captivity. And David stands before Goliath, not in all the fancy armor. He tried to put it on, but it was too heavy for him to bear. So he goes with what he knows. And these are his words to Goliath. You come to me with a sword with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Imagine we could say that to the fences that were bounding us in. Imagine we could say that to the mountains and the giants that stood before us saying, you shall not pass. Imagine we could say that to the chains that held us so tightly closed. Imagine we could say that to anything that was holding us back. And now we don't need to imagine, because we can. And that is the joy found in Christ. 1 John, you can all say this with me because I'm sure you know it. 1 John 4 verse 4 says, Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. How many of us truly believe that. We might believe it in theory, but are we living it out in our day-to-day lives? Are we truly living in the freedom that Christ has has given us? And I pray that when we leave here today, we'll remember um, not, not what used to hold us back, because sometimes it's easy to focus on those chains and focus on the places of captivity, but focus instead on the one who has called us to freedom and who has set us free. Galatians 5 verse 1 is one of my all-time favorite verses. When I was, sure, I don't know how old I was, it was, about, it was the year 2000, so 22 years ago, I was confirmed into the Methodist church. And part of it, it was like a youth camp, and we even had T-shirts printed with this verse, and so it will, I, will, I will remember it forever. Galatians 5 verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It is for freedom that we have been set free. There's three things you can get from that verse. We've been set free from something. We are set free for something. And there's a choice that's involved. 
There's a verb that's involved. There's an action that's involved where we get to decide whether we will let ourselves be bound again or not. In John chapter 8, Jesus speaks to his disciples and he says this, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say we will be made free? I mean, there might be some of you sitting here this morning going, oh, that's cool, freedom theory, but I've never not felt free, you know? And then Jesus answers them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. That word that's there, we, I'm sure we've heard this before. They love to use this in movies. And the truth shall set you free. They use it even in like non-Christian movies. They love the, that, that sort of, it's the catchphrase, you know. I wonder if people even know it comes from the Bible. And very often the scriptures say that the, the truth shall set you free. But if you go to the original verses and you read them, and that's why I chose the King James. Can we put that one, just the very last one, uh, back up there? Um, it says, the truth shall, uh, if the sun, listen to me, sorry. I've got to find it now. If the sun makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And there's a big difference between setting something free and making something free. And I'd like us to just spend a couple of minutes, and we won't be very long this morning um, at all. We're, ne- we're actually nearly done. So I just want to spend a couple of minutes looking at that. Um, it always helps if I number the pages. There are two Greek words that mean free. And in English, we only have one translation for them. We, we call them free. But in, um, in most times in scripture where we see the most commonly used word for free, it is eleutherios, which basically means to be unrestrained. It's like somebody taking a lock and unlocking that lock and letting the chains fall off, right? So if you are eleutherios, free, you've been unrestrained. So you were shackled and you've been let free. But those chains are therefore always there. And even if you've, you're free and they never again fit you, then nobody ever puts them on you again, you might be sitting going, oh, but they're there, and they follow me. And just like that first prisoner, I shall spend the rest of my life looking over my shoulder, wondering the next time I slip up, the next time I do this or don't do that, that, that's when I'm going to be taken captive again. That's when I'm just going to, this whole God thing is just going to fall apart, and I'm going to become a prisoner again once more. But in the scripture that I shared with you in John chapter 8, Jesus doesn't use the word eleutherios. He uses the word eluritho, which means to be completely delivered. It means to be made new. Your chains will no longer fit you because you are not the same person in Christ that you were before he delivered you from that that captivity. Which means the things that we fear will one day come knocking and go, Hi, remember me? I'm I'm here to take you captive one more time. Those chains, those handcuffs, that prison sentence is no longer ours to bear. We can relate better to the second prisoner, the one who was made free, who could walk through the prison gates and the prison guards could do nothing to him. They couldn't stop him in any way because he became, under the judge's judgment, a new creation. 
In Christ, your chains haven't just been loosened and broken. They've been taken away completely. And I feel sometimes we go, yeah, that's good in theory. And yeah, okay, let's hurry this up now. Let's, but, but, but for a second, just think about that. We who are due to be answerable for our sins, who are due to one day stand before God and receive his condemnation and receive the chains and the shackles that are due to us, have been given a gift of freedom where those chains and shackles are not just unlocked, they're removed from us entirely. In Christ, we are exempt from ever having to wear them again. Because in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 to 18, the Bible says this, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. If anyone is in Christ, our chains, our prison sentence no longer applies. It's up to us, however, to put those chains down. Because sometimes we are so comfortable holding them, going, Lord, this is what I deserve. And he goes, yeah, I know what you deserve. But I also know what I paid for you. And I know the gift that is freely given. Romans 6, verse 22 to 23. But now, having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God. It's an interesting notion. We're set free from one thing, but we become slaves to another. But in this sense, it's not a slave, an enslavement so much as it's a following God, children of God. So having been set free from sin and having become slaves, slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and in the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We've earned death but we have received life. And I think it's such a difficult notion sometimes for us to actually realize and to take to heart. Anybody here who um, likes money? Anyone? Of course not. Like we're godly people. Anyone who would like some money? Come get it. There we go. No strings attached. Did you all see it? Like, yeah, we want money. Yeah. Uh, but what's the, what's the catch? <laughs> what's the, yes, okay, I'll come, I'll come. But what am I, do a dance, do a song, do something at the front. The gift God gives us is freely given. It really is. I've done that illustration once before. Um, many years ago, and afterwards, the guy who, who got the money came to me after the service and was like, here's your 100 rand back. And I was like, I don't, it, that was the gift. There's no catch. I don't need the money back. Okay. <laughs> and that wasn't a big show of, look at me, I'm such a, a rich teacher. I can afford 100 rand. <laughs> that was an illustration because, because we got 100 rand. I mean, what is the, what's the catch? What are the strings attached? I take that, what do I owe you? 
You see, we're not just set free from something. We are set free for something. And I think sometimes we spend so much time focusing on, on the captivity, like the Israelites. Yes, I want to follow you, but remember Egypt. Egypt was a little bit better than this sometimes. Sometimes I want to go back there. I knew that. It was, it was comfortable. I didn't like the chains, but I knew the chains. It was my comfort zone. That's where I want to be. And no, I really want to be with you, Lord. But I, And we, if we spend our lives constantly, and it's good to remember what we've been set free from, but if we, if we constantly focus on what was... How do we focus on what will be and what is in front of us? God has set us free for a purpose. You and I are free this morning for something, not just from something, but for something, for someone, for the only one who matters. John 10 verse 10 says, and you can, you, again, a verse we could all probably quote. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. At the fall of mankind, we were separated from God. Adam and Eve used to walk with God in the Garden of Eden. They used to have communion with him. There used to be nothing between them. And then at the fall of man, what did they do? They ran away and hid. Like that first prisoner, oh, I've done wrong. Constantly going to look over my shoulder for the rest of my life. And from the moment that happened, God himself, in the human form of Jesus, embarked on a journey right throughout scripture to bring us back to him. Yes, there's there's things he wants us to do. There's things that we can share his kingdom. We can, there, there, there's, there, there's the way to be a good Christian and lead a good Christian life, but that isn't what we are all about. We are all about being once again reconciled to God. We are set free for a relationship with our Father. We are set free so that there is never again anything between us and God. I was at a ladies' conference. There were a few ladies that were there um, the other night. And it was, it was amazing, the illustration that was given, because in the olden days, you know, in the, in the Hebrew biblical times, you had the temple. And um, the lady that was speaking, Jackie Mungovan, she was explaining. She said, so the ladies were allowed to come as far as the outer, like the outer part of the temple. They weren't allowed in. And then you got certain men who were allowed into the temple courtyard. And then you got the priests who were allowed a little bit more into the holy place. But there was still, the presence of God was still unattainable because there was another place called the Holy of Holies. And that was where God resided. And there was a veil between the Holy of Holies and everywhere else. And once a year, the priest, the high priest, after cleansing himself, could enter the Holy of Holies. But he would even enter with a rope tied around his leg so that if he died while he was in there, they could drag his body out because nobody else was allowed to go in. Because God used to be unattainable. We have been set free for a relationship with our Father. He has set us free that we don't have to sit here worrying about the chains. We don't have to sit here worrying about the mistakes we have made and, and the ones we do make and the ones we will still make. He doesn't count our sins against us. And that's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Yes, we're supposed to still try to live a life that pleases him. But what it means is that we are no longer damned to an eternity without him. We are free to enter his presence not just to go into the Holy of Holies, 
but to recognize that the Holy of Holies, in the person of Jesus, and in the person of the Holy Spirit who resides in us, is with us all the time. You and I are free this morning. Not just released, not just let out of the cage for a while. We are unshackled. We are free. And we are called to take that freedom forward and to commune with God. Not just, I was sharing a video yesterday, not just little nuggets. He's like, no, don't just come to me and be like, oh, I read my Bible verse for the day. I'm done with God for the day. He's like, every moment of every day, we are called forward to live for Christ, in Christ, through Christ, and with Christ walking with us in the Holy of Holies, in person, with you, with me, right now. It sounds great in theory, but it's the truth. And I would encourage this morning that you let that truth truly make you free. Put down the things, put down the unforgiveness, put down the things that you, you've held onto that have held you back for so long. And move forward into that relationship with our Father. Not just the one that goes, yes, Lord, I believe in you. But the one that goes, Father, I hunger after you. I want to commune with you every second of every day. Can we pray together? Shall we stand? Is that all right? Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, as your children. Lord, as your beloved. Father, as the children that you have called out of freedom, that you have made free. Father, may you remind each one of us who we are in Christ and whose we are. Father, help us, help us to take the words this morning and to apply them. Help us, Lord, to, to have that realization within each and every one of us of who you are, Father, and who you have called us to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.